help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. And he has with his son. Amen. May he receive the tokens of all your meal offerings and approve your burnt offerings. May he grant you your desire and fulfill your every plan. May we shout for joy in your victory, arrayed by the standards of the name of our God. May the Lord fulfill your every wish. What a good word we're getting out of here. Amen. Now I know that the Lord will give victory to his anointed, will answer him from his heavenly sanctuary with the mighty victories of his right arm. Who is the right arm? Jesus. They, fought, they call on chariots and they call on horses. But we call on the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and lie fallen, but we rally and gather strength. O oh Lord, grant victory. May the King answer us when we call. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise. He's worthy to be praised. so good. Amen. We worship you, Lord. You are worthy of us to ship you worth. We ship you worth this morning, God. We place value on you and everything you've done in our lives and all your majesty of, from creation to everything you've done throughout time, Lord. We celebrate our relationship with you. We give you praise. You are good. You are good, and we celebrate that. Let's give him praise this morning. He's worthy to be praised. Uh, if you have your Bibles, well, actually, let's go over a couple of things on the screen before we um, get into our Scripture here through the Word. <laughs> i got so many things up here. First one is, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable work. There is, there is none who does good. Now you see that there is. That's not in the original language. It almost, the English makes it sound like that they're saying somebody who don't believe in a God uh, is a fool. That's somebody who don't know. They're not really a fool. They've not been introduced to God or to Jesus once they've been introduced to Him. So basically, it should read like this. The fool hath said in his heart, no God. Now think about that for a minute. It's not a fool, somebody who's not heard of God, right? Remember those guys in Acts chapter 19? Paul said, hey, what about the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've not even heard about the Holy Spirit. It's not a fool. Somebody's not heard. A fool is somebody who knows who God is and tells him no. That's a fool. That's what a fool is. A fool is not somebody who's never been introduced to God, but it's somebody who knows God, knows about God, and still is telling him no. So I ask this the first question I would ask. Our audience around the world and those of you that are here this morning, those that are on vacation and joining in wherever you're at this morning, 
Have you, are you telling God no in some kind of way? Are you lost and continuing to tell God no to his salvation? Are you a believer and God is prompting you and challenging you and you are continuing to tell him no? That's a bad place to be, to know who God is and tell him no. Next verse is from Psalm 55. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old, Silah, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. In other words, the fact that people do not fear God is the reason they will not change. Jesus said in the New Testament, he said, don't fear the one who can kill the body. And we could say that in a lot of ways. That's the extreme case, right? Don't fear the one that can steal all your stuff. Don't feel the, fear the one that can kill your horse. Don't fear the one that can put you in jail. But fear the one that, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who has power of body and soul to put them into hell, he said. Now that's strong language. To fear is to respect and honor and to know who's in charge. It doesn't mean to be afraid to approach them or be around them. But it means to respect who's in charge and know they have the last say in all of our lives. And God does. So he's saying to them here in this Psalm 55, because they're not willing to change, it shows that they do not fear God. Now we all see that. And I believe that's a word to this country we abide in, that we do not fear God properly in this country as a group. And therefore, we're not willing to change. We're going the wrong direction. The next place I want you to go is to Ezekiel chapter 33. And I sprang just a little bit of this out Wednesday night, but I could not get away from this. All week long, I've been hearing the value of a watchman. And I've been hearing God say to this for me the last couple of weeks. I've been having dreams about it. Uh, and everything, been waking up with the Lord speaking to me about it, warn them, be a watchman. Before we get into that, in the last two years, a couple of prophetic utterances that the Lord has given me, one was in 2020, it's, these are still out there, we want them in front of you, uh, and this is the word in 2020 was, America has missed its day of visitation. Remember Jesus saying that in the New Testament to Israel. Therefore she will begin to grope as men in Sodom at Lot's door. That's what's happening to America. Do you notice how many bad decisions we're making? Horrible decisions. Decisions against Israel. Decisions against God's law. I mean, when you get in darkness and turn away from God, you make bad decisions. It happens to individuals. It happens to families. It happens to businesses, it happens to school systems, it happens to governments, it happens to nations. He said, America is going to begin to grope as the men at Sodom at Lot's door. The righteous will be strengthened. It's a good word for us. But the wicked will wax worse and worse. Do we not see that? We see that here in our own country, also around the world. It's not just here. Going forward, value will be in things that sustain life. America has lost its way in leading the world to the throne of God. We used to be the country that was missionaries everywhere. And now, Africa is sending missionaries to America. Did you know that? 
I can say this loud and clear because I've been dealing with some of the preachers in the Methodist group. The Methodists just had a major split. The American church on the Methodist side is the one that's lost its mind. The world church is still holding to God's word. And so a lot of these Methodist pastors are now having to leave the American Methodist church. I, I know a lot of them personally that are pastors because the, the full gospel movement came out of the Methodist church. Did you know that? All these independent churches that believe in the full gospel like we do, that's, that movement started with the Wesley boys and come out of that group. The Wesley boys weren't Methodists. They, just, they were the ones that were forerunners that brought Methodists to. They, brought that, they took their belief system, quote unquote, how they took it. So now we stand and some of these pastors are having to decide whether to be independent churches or to go with the world church, which still clings to God's word. And the American side of that is the one that's went and went away from God's word. That's our culture. That's our culture. And then he goes on to say the protection, this is a good word from us, the protection for us, the protection will remain for those who fully trust in the Lord, but will evaporate from those who trust in themselves and systems of this world. So that's, this is the word we got in 2020. God is coming to the earth and the earth has not made proper preparation. Would you agree with that? We're not ready for God. We're not ready for Him. Soon the world will begin to shake and will start its final descent toward its appointment with its Creator. And true justice will appear and no one will be able to escape the appearance of God's glory and His justice. That's the day when all these cries for justice will be answered. But I've got a bad feeling it's not going to be answered the way some of them want to hear. It's going to be answered in righteousness. Now this last word that we had in April, the breaches have come and they... Uh, will widen was what the whole... Now, these are warnings. Would you take them as warnings? Have you ever noticed how much Jesus warns us in the New Testament? The breaches have come. They will widen, says the Lord. For those of you who look to me and trust in me and receive my word, you will continue to grow and be strong. For I have designed you and called you for such a time as this. Good word for us. Hear what my word teaches you and understand that even though times get bad in this life, I am here to watch over you protect you, and use you. You are my children. I am here to watch over you and to use you. You are my children. You do not belong to the world. You belong to me, says the Lord. And I have called you out for this moment. So don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged or dismayed. I threw that in there. I'm encouraging you not to do it for this day. Do not be afraid, but walk in the light as I am in the light, and you shall be made stronger and stronger. And I, the Lord God, will watch you and care for you and bring you to an expected end for the plans I have designed for my people shall surely come to pass, saith the Lord. It's a good word for us. But for the world or those who do not heed the warning, it's trouble. And that's why I'm going to take you to Ezekiel 33. Uh, I want to read some scripture here in 33 and a few places and then take you to the New Testament. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. 
his blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman, and I am one of the watchmen, and we're all watchmen in some aspect of that, and we'll get to that in a minute. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away, takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. So I'm not going to be responsible for anybody. I'm going to get it off me and put it on you. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. And I take this serious. That's why I want to be sensitive to the Lord and hear, uh, hear what he wants me to say. It's not, only, it's not good enough to be a preacher and to just preach God's word. You need to preach a seasoned word. You need to be in season and out. You need to be ready and have what God wants to say at the right time. And so you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear the word from my mouth and warn them for me. And that's why I don't have any reservation about sharing every word out of this Bible. Because it's not my word. I'm just a steward here and an under-shepherd to give off what God's already given us. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. He's talking to his watchman. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, he's talking to the watchman. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you, shall say, thus you say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we live? Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God doesn't like to see anybody die in their sin. In fact, the Bible says it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. God is not slack concerning his promises. He says, but the wicked, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his, turn from his way and live. That's what God takes pleasure in, is when somebody turns from their sin. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So God says, tell the people, this is from me, you tell them this, the watchman. In this case, it's Ezekiel. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall, de shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. So in Ezekiel 3, in places in the New Testament, he talks about people who apostatize, who turn and go a different direction. He says, deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of in the day he turns from his wickedness. So he's talking about the person who's been following and all of a sudden decides to go out and do his own thing versus the person who's not been following but repents and turns back in. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he, listen to this, remember this word we got, I hadn't seen this, hadn't been reminded of this, the protection will remain for those 
who fully trust in the Lord. That's this prophecy. But will evaporate from those who trust in themselves and systems of this world. That was the prophecy. Now listen to what he's saying here in Ezekiel. I say to the righteous that they shall surely live, but he who trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered, but because of the iniquity which is committed, he shall die. So the righteous will not be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he turns. I say he will not live, but he trusts in his own righteousness. You see that? In verse 14 it says again, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen and walks in the statute of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Yet the children of your people say, The way of the Lord is not fair. But it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, He shall live because of it. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair, O house of Israel. I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. Now in the New Testament, he basically says the same thing. He says, I'll give to every man uh, according to his deeds, right? So the Lord's given everybody an opportunity to be clean, to walk with him, and to be spared or to be saved. Now let's go to chapter 34. Let me read you a few verses out of 34, starting with verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That'd be somebody like me. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool, You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Remember what he said to Peter? He knew Peter was going to be a shepherd. What did he say? If you love me, feed my sheep. Three times he said that to him. The weak you have not strengthened, talking to the shepherds, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them, so that they are scattered because no... uh, was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field. When they were scattered, my sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was uh, scattered over the whole face of the earth. No one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my, require my flock at their hand. There's a lot to read in Ezekiel about how God feels. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm going to give you a couple of definitions, and I'm going to say something. Probably won't catch you all off guard, but it may catch a lot of people off guard uh, that, that, when they hear what I'm going to say. 
First thing I want to ask you is, does God expect us to be watchmen? The answer is true, yes. It's true for all of us. First of all, for yourself. You should be a watchman for yourself. You should guard. You should take Sunday school seriously if you went to Sunday school. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little feet where you go. Be careful little hands what you do. For the Father up above, He's looking down in love. Be careful, right? Set up boundaries for yourself. Whatever we love, we set up boundaries for, right? God set up boundaries for us with His Word. Why? Because He loves us. You and I set up boundaries for our children. Why? Because we love them. We set up boundaries for whatever we love, we put boundaries in place. It could be a a child, it could be a pet, whatever you have affection for, you put boundaries. Why is God any different? He's not. In fact, He's the chief one of love. All love comes from God. He is love. So the reason God put boundaries in our lives is because He loves us. The reason he said thou shalt not or thou shalt is because he said he loves us. That's why he set boundaries up for us. So the word watch in the Old Testament has several Hebrew words that mean to watch. I'm going to give you some of those definitions. They're all pretty much around the same thing. It means to guard. It means to keep. It means to look about. It means bending forward to behold. It means to be stationed in a particular location to see. It means, and the watcher is a term that's used in the Old Testament and in some of the writings uh, in the Pseudiographa, if you've read some of that uh, stuff from the Jewish writing, uh, it's used of angels watching over the affairs of men. Now, I'm going to tell you the biggest problem in America, the number one problem is hireling preachers. That's the biggest problem we have in this country. Not the politicians. I'm getting to them next. (laughs) But the biggest problem we have in this country are preachers in the pulpit that no longer believe God's Word, no longer preach God's Word, and are afraid of the congregation in the world, or they're in it just to make themselves rich and fat. If we don't have churches where preachers and shepherds are standing for God's Word, we are the ones that people grow up in and become politicians or whatever it is that they become. And some of them we see in the Bible, God makes them in that realm. With Daniel and others we read about in the Bible. God has to have people everywhere. But the problem starts, I'm going to say this even before Dad, the problem starts with these shepherds that's not standing for the truth, they're in pulpits and preaching ha- people in pulpits that don't believe in heaven and hell anymore. People in pulpits that don't believe in the devil anymore. Who do you think's loving this? Satan loves to be hid. He loves to hide. He loves to disguise himself. He loves to deceive. So the biggest problem in America is sissy preachers that need to get out of the pulpit and go find them a job. That's the biggest problem that we have. And I'm, I'm in that profession, so I didn't know if that caught you off guard. But the biggest problem we have in this country is preachers who refuse to teach the whole counsel of God, who take God at His Word, who actually change God's Word. And the Bible says if you change His Word, you can have your part in the lake of fire. We're talking about preachers now. I'm not talking to you all. I'll get to you all in just a minute. But I'm talking about preachers now. The biggest problem in this country is preachers who will not stand for the Word of God. 
And if you're not going to stand for the Word of God, you need to find another vocation and get behind something that you believe in. If you don't believe in God's Word, you don't deserve to be standing in front of His people and sharing anything. So that's on me. And if you're thinking about preaching, you better think again. Because you and I, the Bible says, be not many masters, knowing you receive the greater judgment. I cannot imagine standing before God and Him saying to me, why didn't you tell them that? I was waking you up in the morning. I gave you 66 books of my word besides the things that I've spoke to you personally. Why didn't you tell my people what I told you to tell them? Why didn't you give them a warning when you saw a brother who was going astray? Why didn't you talk to him? Why didn't you go in that hospital room and share Jesus with them? You knew they were dying. I'm not going to stand before God and hear those things. The Bible says that you receive, you that have uh, more levity or more authority, you're going to receive the greater scrutiny. So if you want to know why, I don't care to share everything in there because you're not my judge. God is. And this preacher is not for sale. I'm going to stand on God's Word. I know it may get to the place someday when they, when they do away with people like me. I understand that. I had an old, uh, old elder years ago who's going to be the Lord. He used to say to me, he said, when they start cutting preachers' heads off, we'll find out who's really called to preach then. And they do that in some countries in this world. Brother Stevens lost many a comrades over there. 300 to 500, probably more than that now. Church has been burned to the ground with congregations in them at times. He's lost a lot of comrades over there, but God has sustained him because he's not through. So that's the first problem. The second problem is leadership and government. When you start reading God's, God's uh, admi- or warnings against the shepherds, the religious side, and the kings, and the nobles, and all, they're in trouble. I cannot imagine signing a bill into law that goes against this and then trying to stand in front of God and explain it. But we got politicians in our states and in our federal government all over the place that disregard God. You're the second problem. I'll take it. My vocation, we are the first problem. But you guys in D.C. and in these state capitals that are going against God, you're the next problem because God has given you authority and power and you've abused it and misused it. I'll take it in my vocation first, but it's time for some of you to stand up and repent and ask God to forgive you. Because you have authority. You've been given. The Bible says God raises up kings and authorities. You got there by God. You didn't get there by votes. God put you in there and you're responsible to him. The Bible says God's the one that raises up kings and princes and puts them in those places. You ain't got nothing without God. And if, you, if we could, it'd be good for us to get Nebuchadnezzar to go to Washington, D.C. and testify to all them guys. And say, you better get your act together because God knows how to humble you. He knows how to humble us. He knows how to humble whole nations. The third problem, I could have stayed a lot longer on the politicians, but I'm going to move on. 
The third problem, I stayed longer on the preachers than I did the politicians. So nobody can say I'm not being fair. The third problem are leaders in places, in businesses, in schools, and everything else that have dropped God's plan. Listen, wherever you're at, God gave you that position. Whatever platform you have, whatever level of authority or circle of influence you had, that was God's design. He, listen, I don't care if you get a diploma and 14 degrees. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to split hell wide open. That's, that's, that's the problem. We got people whom God placed in some places, whether it's uh, the business world or education or in the healthcare industry or whatever you're in. If you've got some level of leadership ability there, that's God's doing. And he's bringing people in and out of your life all the time that you can show his love to. So we're dropping the ball. We're not being watchmen. I know it's easy to be moved by things. I've been in all those circles working in orphanages. I've been, I was a teacher for a little while. I understand all those things. You see that child come in who has nothing, who's being abused, has horrible home life. And you want to meet those needs, but there's a greater need that that child has than even those needs. And we got to be the ones to see that. We got to be the ones to see that. I've not told this story. It's been a while. <clears throat> Preachers had this, he had a church there in, uh, I believe it was Tennessee or North Carolina, I can't remember. And the church was within proximity of the projects. And uh, he come in. Had, had a little boy who had come from the projects. He couldn't talk plain. He had a list when he talked. He didn't dress well. He was dirty most of the time. And all his clothes were too big for him. He was around 10 years old. And he, wore, he had a, a pair of work boots that were 10 or 11s. That were way too big for him. That's all he had to wear. This church had a series of meetings. And this little boy... He got saved before that and started coming to church. And he brought his little eight-year-old brother to the meetings. And his little brother got saved. So both of them were saved. And at the end of the meeting, they were giving people a chance to share what God had done for them that week. And the little boy raised his hand, the one that couldn't talk plain, the older brother. And the preacher didn't want to let him talk, really. He said, because I was afraid what he would say and afraid if people could understand him. And he said, he said, I looked at him. I was picking everybody but him. He said he would prop his hand up, holding it up. Like... He said, finally, his only hand left. <laughs> he said, I said, okay, boy, what do you got to say? And said he left his seat and come up front. And he started saying with a with speech impediment, he said, I can't preach like this guy can preach. But I'm so happy. He said, I can't speak. And he lists out several things he could not do. And he stood there in a pair of brown polyester pants, he told us, a pair of work boots, and a big old dress coat that was way too big for him. And he said the whole church was weeping. And he kept saying, everything he said he couldn't do, he would say behind it, but I'm so happy. I'm so happy. 
And he said, the reason I'm so happy is my little brother gave his heart to Jesus tonight. And I'm happy. He said, the whole church. He said, what that little boy did, did about as much as the whole meeting done. He said, just a few days later, a little boy came to the church and he was beat all, beat all to pieces. And he said to the little boy, he said, uh, what's going on? He said, well, my, my mama, his mother or father, one knocked him down the stairs, big flight of stairs for coming to church. His mom and dad were both alcoholics. They beat him up when he would come to church. This time it was severe. And he said, I quit. He said, I can't take it anymore getting beat every time I come to church and the preacher with such love and wisdom consoled him and ministered to him and then said hey said, would you be a missionary for Jesus Christ and he said well yeah I would love to be he said well he said we can't get in those places where you're at they won't let us in the door he said would you go back and be a missionary for Jesus he said yeah yeah and that encouraged him right he said yeah I'll go back I'll go back, be a missionary for Jesus. So he encouraged him to hang in there. That Wednesday night, he brought his alcoholic mother to church and she got saved. The following Sunday, he brought his alcoholic father to church and he got saved. There's opportunities out there. He said, the field's white and ready, but the laborers are few. That's what Jesus said. They're out there. They're looking for stuff in all the wrong places. But they're out there. Make yourself available. Be a watchman. Now let's go. The, th- the next place I want to say, and maybe this is just a sidebar. I don't, maybe it's in, not in order, but the family. Dad, Mom, are you being watchman? Are you being watchman? With your children, with your grandchildren? Are you being a good watchman? Because the Bible says the devil's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's how he works. The devil don't play fair. If you have this expectation that Satan's going to play fair, you're already behind. Because he don't do that. So dads, how about you? Moms, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Are you being a good watchman? The problem America is going to have, the church in America, is the last thing Jesus said to us in Luke 21. Getting caught up in the cares of this life. That's our biggest problem in this country, even with the church. Getting caught up in the cares of this life to where we don't take time to pray with that granddaughter. Or we don't take time to share scripture and have devotion with that grandson or that son or whatever. Now let's be real. What's clipping America's wings is getting caught up in this life. You know, take time to be a watchman. You're being a watchman when you feed them God's Word. You're being a watchman when you have prayer with them and disciple them. You're being a watchman. There'll be time to shoot ball. There'll be time to throw a ball. There'll be time to study math. Math's not more important than the Scripture. I got a lot of family that didn't even get to go to school, but they're going to be in heaven. Both my grandparents on my mother's side went to the sixth grade. 
My grandfather missed out on one, a good job because he, he called it a resume instead of a resume. Looks like resume to me. But they're going to be in heaven. Isn't it going to be funny when some of these high and mighty people have to listen to somebody that didn't even go to school? They're going to be in charge of them in heaven. What matters, and all those things can, can matter in their place. I'm not against them. I've got a couple pieces of paper hanging on my wall somewhere. They're probably not on the wall. But that's not more important than your journey of faith. The most important thing going on in our lives or our children's lives is their journey of faith. That's the most important thing going on. Now, I want to apologize to everybody. I want to apologize for my vocation, for preachers who probably shouldn't be preachers, who won't toe the line and stand for God's word, I, I apologize to anybody that hears my voice. And for politicians who should do the right thing, that are they're more interested in what people think or their own advantage. You know, I, I preach, if you've been around some of the teaching, politics started with Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament. Because when he was told what to do by God, he only did part of it. And when Samuel showed up, he said, what's going on? And, and Saul said, I did it all. <laughs> Liar. And then as soon as he got that out of his mouth, they heard, Bah! The sheep told on him. <laughs> and Samuel said, what's that? What am I hearing? <laughs> and he said, well, I kept the sheep and gave them because of the people. That's what politicians do. They care more about what people think than what God thinks. Not all of them. Not all of them. We got some godly people. That love, but a majority of them. And, and, and I'm going to say the pulpit's getting more and more the wrong way too. But that's what happens to people. That's why you have politicians 20 years ago who stood for God's way on marriage and now they've changed their mind. Because they care more about what people think than what God thinks. Now... Let me take you to Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, this is an interesting passage. The word watch in the New Testament. I'm going to write that on here for you. Gregorio is the Greek word. Gregorio. And this word for watch in the New Testament means to stay awake, right? Have you ever had situations where you've needed to stay awake? Maybe you've had a night watchman job or maybe you were driving and you needed to stay awake or uh, whatever. Or maybe the person driving needed you to stay awake, right? Maybe the Holy Spirit woke you up at three in the morning and you needed to stay awake, whatever you, we've all had situations. My wife and I, our oldest son, when he was born, you, most of you heard this, he had a lung disorder till God actually healed him. And uh, for the first three-ish three years of his life, we would stay up all night watching him in that oxygen tent whenever he had a spell and make sure his chest was going up and down. <clears throat> we were being watchmen. And so we've all had moments where we've, had to stay away. Another word means to be alert. Another definition means to be alert, attentive, and vigilant. That's what the New Testament 
word. We'll see this word in just a minute. And then the circumspect is a word that's used to describe this Greek word, Gregorio. And it means, circumspect means to be attentive to all circumstances, understanding the consequences. Now, that's what a watchman does. You may have people in your circle, whether it's bad teaching or they just don't know or they just blowing it off. You may have people in your circle. I guarantee you, we've all got people in our circle that hell's not real to. But we know. We know that there are circumstances that we got to keep our eyes on because we know what the consequences are. Isn't that what Jesus said when he said, don't fear the one, fear the one that can kill the body, but fear the one that has power of body and soul to cast them into hell? So in Matthew 24, or excuse me, 13, verse 24, he says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, Kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while men slept. You think that's what we've been doing? We've not been staying awake. Watch, when you go through your Bible, you'll find out all kinds of people that were responsible for things that they let go. Men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way, but when the grain had sprouted, they produced a crop. Then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said, An enemy has done this. So that's what happens when we sleep, spiritually speaking. When we go to sleep on the job. I'm going to give you some advice. And it's worse now than it ever was. Because when my children were younger, you had a cell phone that you could text and call on. You didn't really have the internet for later. But until your child is ready to move on out of high school, I recommend you take their cell phone and put it in your bedroom at a certain time every night. I'm going to give you some advice. You know why? There's, it's full of stuff that they're not ready to handle. None of us are ready to handle. But if you, you read all the stuff that's on YouTube about teaching them how to do drugs, how to commit suicide, not to mention all the sexual immorality all over. You should get your child's cell phone and put it up at a certain time every night. That's how we lived at our house until our children were grown and moved up. I don't care how much they kick and scream. You know what's at stake. They don't. You know what the pornography industry does? They target the 12-year-old male. You know why they target the 12-year-old male? Because they've run the numbers and they keep most of them for life if they can hook them up then. Put that cell phone up. When they go out of the home, then they'll have to take their own responsibility. I didn't get one amen on that. I knew the teenagers might not amen it, but I figured... They don't need that dinging and winging and minging and blue lights coming on anyway. It's the worst light you can get. They need to sleep. Their bones are still growing. How about some practical advice? I'll give you, if you can't do it for spiritual advice, how about some practical advice? They don't need their sleep interrupted. I don't like my sleep interrupted. Do you? Ding, 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 ding all night long. <laughs> let's go over to Matthew chapter 26 and let's look at this word watch. And then I'll close here in just a moment. Being a watchman. Warn the people. In Matthew 26, look at verse 36. In Matthew 26, verse 36. 
Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. So Jesus is getting close to the cross. He's getting prepared for that cross spiritually through prayer. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here. There that word is, Gregorio, watch with me. Stay here and be attentive to the circumstances. Stay here and be alert. Stay awake. Be vigilant. That's what he was saying to them. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There's the battle, right, between the flesh and the spirit. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? He's challenging him, right? Chastising. He expected him to be a watchman. What level? We're all at different levels. I'm not asking anybody to carry the weight that I carry for that. I understand my mantle. But we all have some degree of watchmen that we're accountable for. And that may grow with you over the years, depending on where God seats you and puts you in. And he says, uh, then, he came and found his, uh, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. Remember I said this last week. When Jesus said this. He said. When you pray. When you fast. And when you give. He didn't say if you pray. If you fast. Or if you give. He presupposed that that would be part of the life. Of a believer. Then he says. Uh, uh, he, he says again a second time he went away to pray and say, Oh, my father, this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it. Your will be done. And we all have to pray in those situations. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away, and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. And those guys were not watching. And because they weren't watching, I'm going to close here. This is what I want to finish up with. I'm going to take Peter just as an example because he's the one we read about after this. The next thing we find Peter doing when he does come to himself and wake up, even though he's not watching and praying, he's missing everything that's going on in the spirit realm because he's not watching and praying. The guy shows up to get Jesus and Peter draws his sword out, cuts his ear off. Because he wasn't watching and praying and because he wasn't in tune, he reacted in the flesh, right? Now, if you don't watch and pray, you will be, and I, I use this analogy all the time, you and I are not supposed to be reactors. That's the flesh. We're supposed to be actors. An actor is somebody who acts on God's Word. If I stay in God's Word, if I stay in prayer, then I act on that. I don't react to the situation. I act in faith. The Bible says if they send a harsh word, you send a soft answer. If they send a curse, you send a blessing. We're predisposed to that because we're taught God's Word. So we act. So Peter, because he wasn't watching and staying in tune, he reacts, right? So he takes his sword out cuts the guy's ear off. Then if we could read all this, I won't take the time to read it. The next thing we hear the Bible say about Peter, because he wasn't watching, 
The Bible says he was following from afar or a distance. He started backing off. Cut the guy's ear off. Then he starts backing off because he wasn't prepared. He wasn't watching and praying. He wasn't standing in the Word. You see what I'm saying? Then the next thing we find him out by the fire and somebody questions whether he's with Jesus or not and he lies about it. He denies him three times. Now I want to say this. I don't know if Peter's getting to hear what we're saying this morning, but no offense to you, Peter. That's the worst sin I've seen in the Bible. That's worse than what Abraham did, David did, Noah did. How come? How do you see him walk on the water, watch him feed 5,000 plus twice, see all the miracles, watch him feed you, take care of you, and then act like you don't know him? That's bad. That's really bad. David got in the flesh. That's bad. But Peter acted like he didn't even know Jesus and he'd walked with him for three and a half years, seen everything he'd done, got fishes, got money out of a fish's mouth. All these miracles, raising the dead, and you don't know him? Because he was following from a distance. When we don't watch and pray, we start living distant discipleship. Who would have thunk? Peter would be in that spot after acting like he'd die for him. It was because he wouldn't be in a watchman. Be a watchman. Now, I've got good news for you before I close. I always love to remind people. You may be listening to me today or sitting here today thinking, I wasn't as good of a watchman as I should have been in that situation. The Bible teaches us that as we come to the Lord, He will restore everything the enemy's stolen from us. All these Bible studies I do throughout the week, I've been doing them for years wherever I've been. And I, one of my Bible studies years ago, both of my grandparents were in. And I was, we were going over a particular section of Scripture and they both started crying in my Bible study. And here's what they said to me and the people that were in the study. See, we went, they were the ones that didn't get to go to school past the sixth grade. They said, when we were raising our children, they said, we knew what to tell them not to do, but we didn't know how to tell them what to do. And that was a problem back years ago in the church. That's why it turned a lot of people off. They'd come to church and they'd say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But they never said, hey, you can have a fun life following Christ because you can do this, do this, do this. We got a close preacher friend of mine. He said he was a severe alcoholic out in California in the hippie movement. And he said, they, the hippies and all of us people out in the world talk about freedom. He said, that's not freedom. He said, before I got saved, all I could drink was alcohol. He said, now that I got saved, I can drink chocolate milk, tea, Orange juice. <laughs> he said, that's freedom. <laughs> he said, that's when you got freedom, when you can do all that. So they, they wept. And, and the good news is, wherever we fumbled, Jesus will pick it up and carry it in the end zone for us. Amen. 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 
I want you to pay attention to the newsletters that comes out this week and, and hear that in there about how God will take bad things and turn them into good. That's the God we serve. And my grandparents have both gone on to be the Lord. They got one more child to come in. They're coming. Because they died in faith, just like Hebrews chapter 11. You hang on to your belief, watch God restore everything. He, he had, he's been restoring it, and I believe that restoration belongs to you and I. If the thief's found out, make him restore it sevenfold. Well, I got news for you, Satan. You've been caught, and Jesus has risen from the dead, and I belong to him. Pay it back, Jack. Let's stand our feet. God's on our side. Now, take your place as a watchman, whatever that means to you. Take your place as a watchman. And somebody send this uh, uh, message to D.C. Take your place as a, and, and uh, preachers. <laughs> Take your place. I'm taking it serious. We know what God's saying to us. We know what day we're living in, don't we? That's why this hourglass is here. It's just a little bit of sin. It's all gone, I think. This, we know the day we're living in. Take this serious. There's more at stake than whether somebody wakes up tomorrow. Heaven and hell's at stake. Amen? Let's take that serious. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment. I thank you for those that are watching us, those who have joined us around the globe, Lord, in different countries and different states. We thank you, Lord. And those that are here that named this church their home, we thank you, Lord. We want to be diligent. We don't want to be like Peter. We don't want to find ourselves following from a distance. We don't want to find ourselves growing weaker to where we would deny you in any given situation. So as we come to your throne this morning, Lord, maybe there are people here that are following from a distance. Maybe somebody watching us today or listening, you're following from a distance. You're only going to get in trouble if you continue to follow from a distance. So as we open this altar up, if you're at home, find you a place to pray. Renew yourselves like we sang about earlier. Here I am, O Lord, my heart broken to be set right with you. God, let that be our lot this morning as we worship and as we seek your face. If you have a need this morning, you can come forward as well. We'll pray over you this morning.